on the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers and our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 38, created on January 18th, 2023. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin, along with me, Jeff in Minnesota, and Neil on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. Hello, gentlemen. Tonight, we're going with the Deschutes Brewery, The Abyss, Barrel Aged. I am having an Untitled Art Juicy IPA. Untitled Art is a brewery that is from Wanakee, Wisconsin. So hello to my friends in Lodi for this hazy IPA. All right. And Wanakee, just north of uh, Madison. And I have Jeffrey, an extra creamy Gin Alexander. All right. You can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. And our audio is available on Spotify. Just search for Green Bay Chat. What are we looking at tonight? Well, we've got a wild card round to review. And of course, our Packer player of the past. We'll take a look at this weekend's upcoming divisional round. Uh, our history report brings us back to the 1950s era Green Bay Packers. And then we'll wrap up things after that. But uh, not much Packer news to talk about this week. So, of course, we are talking about the playoffs. Jeff, if you want to throw your soundbite in there, go playoffs. for it. Yeah. It was the wild card round. And if you remember last week, we each made our picks. Neil and Jeff uh, were both a uh, resounding four out of six correct. I uh, failed a little bit, ended up three and six. All three of us got the Jacksonville game wrong, and we got the Minnesota Vikings game wrong. But the one that we split on, I had uh, taken the lucky Tom Brady to get through these playoffs, but Tom just did not look like Tom of old. And the Dallas Cowboys took the victory 31 to 14. And as the saying goes, it wasn't even that close. Fuck Tom Brady. Fuck Tom Brady. Oh man, was that a glorious game? And I, you know, I say this as somebody who obviously does not like the Cowboys, but seeing Tom Brady just completely flounder was really one of the highlights of this season. As far as I'm concerned, um, he, he looked bad early. He looked bad often. He kept throwing and throwing and throwing. The game was out of control. He still kept throwing and throwing and throwing the most interesting statistic about Brady from that game. He threw 66 passing attempts, setting a career high for passing attempts in the game and showing how Tom Brady was just about being Tom Brady and nothing else. They only had 12 rushing attempts in that game, 4.3 yards per attempt rushing for the Buccaneers. That wasn't good enough for Tom Brady. He's going to keep chucking it and chucking it and hope that he can do something on his own. Uh, it was glorious. Um, it was, you know, there's certainly plenty of schadenfreude as far as the Cowboys kicker missing four extra points. The Cowboys globally look good, although the game started out with three, three and out. So there's, you know, plenty of schadenfreude to go around if you're a non-fan of both the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. Yeah, it was weird. Um, once the Cowboys decided that, hey, we can just go up and down the field, everything was working just fine, except, you know, their ass had kicker. That was brutal. And so then there was actually five mixed, missed extra points in a row because the Bucks then went ahead on their first touchdown. They missed their extra point too. So, no, it was weird to watch Brady. You're right, just throw and throw and throw and throw and throw. And yeah, okay, he threw 66 times. He had, what, 300 and some odd yards. I didn't even look. I don't care. But it was just – it wasn't close. It couldn't have been that close. The game was dominated by the Cowboys, by their defense, and Mike McCarthy did not fuck it up. 
Neil, what is it about quarterbacks and their ego that they just think that they need to do everything on their own and completely forget about the running game, as you mentioned? I mean, Tampa wasn't doing a terrible job on the ground, but, you know, and maybe I'm alluding to Rodgers as well. Why are they not learning, especially late in their career, to play within their limitations? I, I think you have to put this on the coaching staff, though, as well, that the quarterback, by definition, I think to be good at quarterback, you have to have an enormous ego. You have to assume that you're going to succeed every time, and it's the job of the coaching staff to make sure that that does not happen. You know, Brady throwing continuously, sending it down as many times as he did, although many of them very short passes, you know, that is – if that is a, an available play call for him, he's going to do that. But the coaching staff are the people that have to keep that from happening in the game, that have to make sure that you have more than 12 rushing attempts when your rushing game is actually effective. So, or is it one of those situations where you've got Brady and Rodgers who, you know, with between the coaching staffs or whatever, it's like, well, who runs who here versus, you know, you've got, the Cincinnati, you've got Joe Burrow, you've got some of these younger quarterbacks who've had success, but that that seem to play within the game within, you know, so they're, they're not bigger than the game. And so maybe that's, I don't know, that's the key that they're late in their careers and they've, I don't know, earned that right or something, or is it, is it just that, uh, but clearly that they, that doesn't breed success. <laughs> for starters right so a couple other kudos for the game or things that for, when i was looking at the game before the game were certainly points of concern not for me for many people this is the first time that dallas has ever beaten tom brady in his long career so um you know nice wow. to see brady go down in a new way and for dallas it was their first road win since the 1992 season on their first road to the Super Bowl back in that, that 1990s dynasty. They have had eight straight road losses since that game. And um, that was a fun streak to have. And um, while well, we're gonna have to create some new losing streaks for the Cowboys in the future. Neil, you threw up very profound truth out there. And I will say that the converse is not true. Simply having a big ego does not make you good at playing quarterback. Um, but, you know, the thought there is, you know, these are guys that have been in these positions where, you know, ever since probably Pee Wee Ball, They've been carrying their team, right? And and that instinct just comes back. We're down. I've got to take care of it. Uh, I think the coaching staff, you're right, is a little bit, maybe they're enabling, but, you know, the coaching staff, you're surrounding these players with what they want, what they need for the position that they're in. And I think it's a, it's a live by the greatness of a quarterback, die by, you know, the greatness of a quarterback as well. And certainly with Brady, you're seeing that. I think we're seeing that with Rodgers. And it has happened to other quarterbacks as well, but these are our two you know, recent comparisons that we can make. Dallas, though, well, 31 points, kind of a weird number with that because they scored five, five touchdowns. touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeff, what happened with that kicker? Is that, uh, you know, is that the yips? Is there something going uh, on there? You know, he was, he had only missed three extra points all season up to that point. So, no, it was just, you know, some weird anomaly. I think it's, yeah, I just, I don't know. The one that went over the goalpost, it got a, like grazed the top of the goalpost. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that happen either. So it was just, it was weird. And it was, I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? I'm thinking, okay, you miss a couple of these. It usually comes back and bites you in the ass. Maybe it was, maybe it was the opposite. You miss them all or pretty much all of them. It doesn't matter because that's how many points you're scoring. Yeah, it was, it was bizarre, but yet by the same token, you know, kind of fulfilling to, to watch the Cowboys struggle. 
Just you got to credit Mike McCarthy, though, too. And there, there was a story that went around the local sports radio here, too, a few years ago. Mason Crosby was having a rough year. And Mike McCarthy, to his credit, kept going back to Crosby because yeah. he knew he, he had faith in his kicker. And I think you saw the same thing there as well. And, and talking about how our coaching staff surrounds these players, that is something that is needed as well. Okay, yep, you failed. Uh, the fact that you missed four in a row is unheard of, but that doesn't define who you are as a kicker. Uh, fifth touchdown, get out there and get us an extra point. Although he well, did, he did I was going to say the fifth touchdown field was because they didn't go for the field goal. Yeah. So, well, you know. So Dallas with the win, 31-14, they move on to the next round. They're going to be playing on Sunday. They will be traveling over to San Francisco, a classic Cowboys-Niners matchup. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Uh, and before we finish up the NFC, let's go over to the AFC because we have some favorite teams there in the AFC because of our two most recent trips. The Cincinnati Bengals, boy, get by, uh, you know, by the skin of their teeth, right? And this mm. is a game that probably should not have been as close as it was with the Baltimore Ravens. The game tied at 17, and it looked like the Ravens were ready to score again. And the Bengals get one of the hugest fumble recoveries in probably the history of the game. 98-yard touchdown, go ahead 24-17 and hold on to that win, and they advance on. But the, the Bengals struggled at home way too much in this game against a third, effectively a third-string quarterback. And, mm -hmm. and you got to wonder, is that going to affect them the rest of the way? Right. I mean, you just look at Tyler Huntley's stats, right? This, again, third-string quarterback, 17 of 29 for 226 yards, 7.8 yards per attempt. I mean, they allowed him to move the ball down. And yes, not every team has Mark Andrews, but essentially they just needed to move the ball. Tyler Huntley knew what he needed to do as far as getting it to the right people. And I, uh, I, I worry about the Bengals a lot. I, I think the biggest winner of wildcard weekend in the AFC was the Kansas City Chiefs, given the struggles of both Buffalo and of Cincinnati. I think though that, for Cincinnati, I'm wondering if it was maybe they were a little overconfident, right? I think they were thinking, okay, well, we are against a third-string quarterback. You know, we we should dominate. And I think they they maybe got a little unfocused, a little, you know, overconfident, whatever. They needed that huge play to bail their ass out. It happened. It was crazy. Oh, my gosh, what a swing. Um, you know, it just – it looked like they were just going to go down. And, and yeah, but – so when that did happen, they, at that point, they just, I think they realized the gravity of it and just then were like, yeah. oh my God, it didn't make that much difference on the offensive side. Although at that point they had offensive line injuries and now we're kind of getting back to the same, you know, okay, deja vu all over again from last year. So how many times is uh, Joe cool going to get sacked in this next game? I mean, you know, they got to keep them upright. Um, so I think that's the biggest key here is that now they realize, okay, we're past the wild card, but now we've got a problem because our offensive line is back with the injuries to last year at best. Right. I mean, Joe Burrow was sacked four times in that game. And then Mixon only rushed for 39 yards. That is a sign of an offensive line that is in trouble. And I have grave doubts about this team because of that offensive line. It's, it's a testament not only to having a good starting offensive line, but having depth in that position. Yeah. And I think it was that lack of depth that really affected them more than anything else. But Jeff, I think you're also right that I felt like they were looking past the Ravens. Yeah. And I felt like because of that quarterback issue and, and probably because of the way that they handled the Ravens just the week prior as well yeah. at the end of the regular season, 
They, they probably looked past this game, and, and that's a thing that teams can't do. In the same vein, in the other game, Buffalo, I think, did the same thing. Buffalo probably looked past the Dolphins because they were down to a third-string quarterback as yep. well. Interesting thing about it is both of these teams who skated by – are going to face each other next week. Buffalo played that game the way that we've seen a lot of Packers games play out this year. And to be fair, it's been a major concern of Buffalo fans all year. The fact that they cannot put together four consecutive quarters of football in a game, they managed to get away with it against Miami, but uh, there, there are a lot of concerning things for that game. If you're a Buffalo fan, like we are. So um, you look at the global picture numbers of the game, Skylar Thompson, Miami's quarterback, 18 of 45, one touchdown, <laughs> two interceptions. Miami only had 20 rushes for 42 yards. So they had problems moving the ball by the air. They had problems moving the ball on the ground. Josh Allen on their hand threw for 352 yards. Overall, as far as yardage in the game, Buffalo had 423 to Miami's 231. Buffalo had 25 first downs to Miami's 16. And yet somehow this was a three-point game. And it was a three-point game fundamentally because Buffalo played the game in spurts. They roared out to a 17 to nothing lead. In the first quarter, they beat Miami 14 nothing. In the second quarter, however, Miami beat them 17 to six, although the most important points of that second quarter might have been a drive that Buffalo had right at the end of the first half in which they drove 54 yards in 33 seconds for a field goal, that field goal ending up being the margin of the game. In the third quarter, Buffalo took advantage, went ahead 14 to seven as far as points within that quarter. Miami outscored them in the fourth quarter. And so two quarters of football in which Buffalo won, two quarters of football in which Buffalo lost. And, you know, you look at Buffalo in the second half, they had five punts plus a fumble returned for a touchdown. That is not a formula for winning in the playoffs. Agreed. Or and uh, even, even on TV, the, you know, the commentators were like, Ooh, this crowd is, you know, on edge. And it was, I mean, it just, it was kind of, kind of felt bad for the crowd, right? I mean, it was just like, oh shit, here we go again. They managed to win. Like I said, with Cincinnati, same thing. Maybe they were looking past, who knows, with the third string quarterback. I'm pretty sure this week they're not looking past the, their opponents. I think this is going to be, or I hope, certainly, this is going to be the best weekend of football, most competitive, closest, and probably where these teams in order to advance, they can't play two crappy quarters and two good quarters. They need to put together four solid, at least way above average, if not perfect quarters. Um, and that's any team not um, named San Francisco. And, and Neil, you nailed it with the, the the points per quarter. I mean, Buffalo opens up this game 17 nothing in a game that looks like it's going to be a laugher because Miami is just the, you know, they're broken. They, they've got a third string quarterback. They're struggling. They're just happy to be there. And, and then all of a sudden they start coming back and, and, and maybe Buffalo is just resting throughout that. Who knows what's going through their minds, but it just, you know, you've got to keep that foot on the gas and you can't let up, especially in the playoffs, but Buffalo gets the win 34 31. So Buffalo and Cincinnati matching up on Sunday. Uh, they're going to be that first game, the early game two central three o'clock out on the East coast. Uh, so that's an interesting matchup uh, than then the late game as well. Uh, kind of a weird schedule for the Sunday games, but, you know, Buffalo hosting Cincinnati. And I know that's another thing that is a different contention, uh, but the other AFC game that we all got wrong 
was the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, a game that looked like it should have been a laugh for a game that was to the it point was, where yeah. the Chargers were just dominating this game. Jacksonville comes back and wins 31 to 30. And we were even commenting. Trevor Lawrence was was trying, but you know, he he put up what we called a Farvian effort of four interceptions in that first half. And that's hard to overcome. Uh, and we were, we were, I think, kind of looking at it and saying, boy, can he get to six interceptions in a playoff game? <laughs> and how bad is this going to turn out? To Doug Peterson's credit, he turned that team around and he did something to them that that got them the win there. And and what an amazing comeback that for a season where we've seen amazing comebacks. Third, third biggest comeback in playoff history. And it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Chargers were dominant in every phase. Trevor Lawrence looked all the part of the rookie quarterback, right? Starting in his first playoff game. But wow, what a turnaround. I mean, seriously. And it wasn't that he just kept chucking the ball. I mean, a couple of those interceptions early on weren't totally his fault. I mean, they, you know, they kept, there were some bad bounces in there. He wasn't just chucking it up for grabs. But, you know, he just, again, while we kind of back to our earlier point, you got to expect as a quarterback in the NFL that you're going to win the game. And however, the quarterback whisperer, if you will, Doug Peterson really must've said something or whatever he said to his team at halftime really friggin' worked because they came out. They just started methodically chipping away and, you know, to their, their detriment or, or to my, um, the Jaguars credit LA played right into their hand. <laughs> they couldn't move the ball. They shut down. They got conservative. The The defense went to sleep, and suddenly they lost. So I think kudos to Doug Peterson. Just, But I'd like to take a broader step back as far as what Doug Peterson has done, done as a quarterback whisperer in his career. He made Carson Wentz an MVP candidate. Carson Wentz gets injured, and he takes Nick Foles, Big Dick Nick, and makes him a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He's got to be ecstatic to be in Jacksonville to have an actually good quarterback that he can actually yeah. coach. And what the Jaguars did, what Doug Peterson did, and how Trevor Lawrence came back in that second half was nothing short of incredible. Just to remind you of how bad Trevor Lawrence was at the beginning, he started out five of 18 for 35 yards with four interceptions, four with, just a, with just <laughs> a couple minutes left in the second quarter ended up with four touchdowns and 288 yards passing. It was a 27, nothing game for the chargers. They lost 31 30. So a 31 to three turnaround, as far as the game is concerned. And yes, you've got to give a lot of credit to Doug Peterson. You've got to give a lot of derision to that entire Los Angeles Clippers football team. Every single person in on that team failed in the second half of that game. If the offense scores one more touchdown, this is not a game. If the defense does anything to stop Jacksonville, this is not a game. If the asshats manage to have that breakthrough moment, this is not a game. This is a game that should not have been a comeback. It required failures on all elements of the Clippers in order for Jacksonville to win. And again, credit to Jacksonville. Don't get me wrong in that, but there's a lot of blame to go around to. Well, in, in that first half as well, you know, Asante Samuel Jr., no matter how the game ended up, he's got his name in the record books with three interceptions in a playoff game in the first half. And, you know, the NFL record for any game, regular season or playoffs, is four interceptions in a game. That's hard to do. And after three in the first half, he had to have been salivating. He had to have been looking at that saying, man, I got to get that fourth one. 
And the fact that they just didn't even come close in that second half and that defense, every, everything, everything about that Chargers team just simply wilted in the second half. And it was almost, it was, it was truly painful to watch because <laughs> I think we felt that before saying, Oh, why are you doing this? Oh no. And whether it's our team or other teams, you just, it's been a weird season, how things like that have been playing out. So Jacksonville gets the win 31 30. They move on. They will travel to Kansas city back to the NFC though. Uh, the other two games we haven't talked about the, the first one, Jeff, I don't know why we didn't open with this and just laugh quite a bit. But the Minnesota Vikings go down in defeat at home, hosting the New Neil is laughing. I love it. Hosting the New York <laughs> Giants final score, 31-24. Minnesota just, I don't think they could get out of their own way uh, and do anything to save this game. They It was doomed from the start. Jeff, you're there. How was the weekend in Minnesota? I think a lot of folks, because of the record, um, because it was a home playoff game, because Vikings fans are optimistic, until they're not and certainly uh the worm turned you know 11 and 1 now in one score games there were a number of records uh records in futility set in this game i mean the vikings it's weird they didn't play a bad game but they still lost ever the bounces did not go their way but you know that the last play of that game man that you know lots of vikings fans talking about that like oh better luck next year or just or oh it's hopeless you know kirk Cousins sucks we need a new quarterback and it was there was a lot of chatter on this one but at the end of the day fourth and eight you throw a three yard out to your tight end you know it's it's it wasn't the play obviously and it wasn't Kirk Cousins's fault necessarily I mean maybe in that play the check down what <laughs> are you talking it. about the fuck are you talking about you throw a ball in which it is no chance of getting a first down it is absolutely the quarterback's fault he took the safe pass rather than chucking it this is where you need to fucking chuck the ball downfield and hope for the best. I ideally chuck it only 10 to 15 yards downfield, but three is not doing the job. Three is not doing the job. You're guaranteed to lose with that mindset. And it's the perfect Kirk Cousins mindset. Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, that played. So there's a statistic that's used as far as do you Alex a play? And that really fundamentally comes down to throwing short of the sticks in a situation where you need a first down. It comes to a success rate. That was an Alex Smith play. Alex Smith is a perfect ending for the Viking season, and it really states what Kirk Cousins is. Going back to the statistics, Cousins, 31 of 39, 273 yards, seven yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks. Everything looks good on paper, but the game is not played on paper. You've got to look at how people are actually playing the game, and you watch how Kirk Cousins played that game, and you knew that he was the inferior quarterback on the inferior team for that game. Now, we didn't rehearse this, so I set him up perfectly, didn't I, John? <laughs> you know, going back to your statistics, though, Neil, talking about your quarterbacks, look at what Daniel Jones did. I mean, yeah. the, he has he has a career day as well. Yeah, Danny, Danny Dimes. 301 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interception, and then 78 yards rushing on 17 attempts. And then you throw in the, the magic of having Saquon Barkley on your team, both 
running the ball and catching the ball. And, you know, Saquon Barkley is sort of what we always imagine Aaron Jones to be doing and what Aaron Jones obviously does at his best. He is a special weapon, and he's the only reason why I think that the Giants have any sort of a chance this weekend is because, yes, of course, Jones needs to play a great game, but I think Saquon Barkley is going to be the best player on the field as far as the two offenses are concerned, and that's the one element that's at least got a chance. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it has a chance of turning the tide in that game. So the Giants get the victory, not a big road trip for them. They will be heading to Philadelphia. We'll talk about that. And to wrap up the whole weekend of the games, and it, and it was one of the earlier games, and San Francisco kind of handily uh, takes care of the Seattle Seahawks, 41-23 to in this game. San Francisco looked good in all aspects of the game, and Seattle really just couldn't do much. Uh, they were the team that squeaked in. And when we look at it, we talked about laughing at the Vikings. Green Bay is the team that should have been in this spot. I don't know that Green Bay would have fared much better in this game because the the, the 49ers uh, were ready to play. They looked good on on that game. Well, initially it was close. I mean, up till halftime, it was it was very close. Seattle hung in there. Their offense played well. The defense, you know, it, it was a it was a very close game. And I'm sitting there thinking, how is this possible? I mean, just you know, there were really no mistakes of note. So it was just like, okay, this is way closer than we're thinking here. And then basically uh, San Francisco is like, all right, fuck it. We're just going to turn it on now and put you out of your misery. Right. I mean, you look at San Francisco, 505 total yards of offense. They've got studs all over the field such that they don't need Brock Purdy to do amazing things on defense. They sacked Geno Smith three times. They had an interception on Smith. They forced a fumble. Um, This is a team that is stacked on both sides of the field. I think they've got the best coach that's remaining in the playoffs. That makes them an extremely dangerous team. And although I still believe that Philadelphia is a better team, I have a lot of faith in the ability of San Francisco when they make it to the NFC championship game. And it's very much in my view, a, when they make it to the NFC championship game, one other element for this game, going back to Brock Purdy. So 332 yards of passing three touchdowns. 11.1 yard per attempt as far as Brock Purdy is concerned. This was an amazing quarterback performance, but this is somebody who's still in his rookie year. And among quarterbacks who made the playoffs in their rookie year, there had not been a 200 yard passing game since 1945. There had not been a two touchdown game back since 1937. Now, 1937 is the last comparable performance. Hall of Famer Sammy Baugh threw for 337 yards and three touchdowns back in 37. But this is a performance that has literally been three quarters of a century since we've seen something like this for a rookie in the playoffs. So once again, the Niners, they win the game 41-23. They will be hosting the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to talk about the divisional round. But as we kind of fall on the Seahawks at the end there and we talk about what Green Bay could have done, we kind of harken back to the past here in a, a classic matchup between the Packers and the Seahawks and Neil. Am I reading this copy correctly? Your Packer player of the past is Brandon Bostick. So today is the eighth anniversary of the NFC championship game from the 2014 season, the Packers Seattle game that we lost in overtime. And so our Packers player of the past is Brandon Bostick. Uh, Brandon Bostick being the goat as far as that game is concerned. But he took a lot of grief that really covers for grief that should have gone to the Packers offense. And the real goat of that game was the Packers offense that failed on so many different occasions. So let's go back to that season again. It's an NFC championship game that is in Seattle. 
We get the ball first, and on our first drive, we drive all the way down to Seattle's 29. We're in field goal range, and Aaron Rodgers throws an interception. Now, we were saved many times in this game because Seattle could not stop fucking up. And so immediately, Seattle gets the ball back, and Russell Wilson throws an interception three plays later. We get the ball at Seattle's 19-yard line to start our second drive. We get all the way down to the one-yard line on second down, get a zero-yard run on second, zero-yard run on third, kick a field goal from the one-yard line on fourth and one. But we're ahead 3-0. We draw first blood. Seattle gets the ball back. They fumble it on the kickoff. We get the ball at Seattle's 23 for our third drive. In six plays, we get down to the one-yard line. We had first and goal on the seven. We ended up with fourth and goal on the one. Second, fourth and goal. Another Mason Crosby 18-yard field goal. Seattle gets the ball back. They go three and out. We get the ball. We finally do something. We have a touchdown drive uh, pass from Rodgers to Cobb. Seattle gets the ball back. They go three and out. We get the ball at Seattle's 33 on the next drive. And in six plays, we only go 11 yards. This time, we again go to fourth and one, but at least we only made it to Seattle's 23-yard line and uh, kick a field goal. So now we've had the ball in field goal range five times, and we have a 16-0 lead. Of course, 16-0 is a lot better than all of the other opportunities. We've had three fourth and ones so far in the game. Seattle gets the ball back. They throw an interception on the first play for Russell Wilson. We get the ball back. And we throw an interception on the third play of the drive. Seattle gets the ball back. Russell Wilson throws an interception at the end of a long drive. We get the ball back and punt. So we're now at halftime. And we still have a 16-0 lead. But we have absolutely squandered a series of opportunities within that game. And just to emphasize how badly we squandered the situation. So first drive, we got into field goal range. On the Packers' second through sixth drives in that game, our average starting field position was the Seattle 37-yard line. Five drives, average starting field position, Seattle's 37. Three field goals, one touchdown, one interception for those drives. And the problem with that is it only got worse from there as far as our offense and Russell Wilson stopped failing as far as the game was concerned. So our next seven drives, the seven to the 13th drive of the game, we had a four play drive with a punt, a three and out, four plays in a punt. We got a 57 yard drive for a field goal, a three and out and a three and out. And so we are in a situation where we had five drives that made it a grand total of 30 yards from the end of the second quarter into the fourth quarter of the game. And unfortunately, we allowed Seattle to get back into the game during that time period, partly because of our assets. John Ryan somehow ends up being a first touchdown, throwing the first touchdown pass for Seattle. So assets getting involved there. We had all of the opportunities in the world. Uh, Seattle gave us an interception into the fourth quarter. And again, we just had these continuing three and outs. And the real element of the game of concern is when Seattle finally had their first real long touchdown drive that brought the game to 1914, it was 352 left in the game when that drive started. In the Packers' previous drive, the Packers uh, had forced Seattle to use some of their timeouts. So Seattle now has to go for an onside kick. So, so this is just a feel-good story. Did this... <laughs> To coin a phrase, Neil, it just gets worse, doesn't it? <laughs> but wait, there's more. Onside kicks don't 
aren't usually very successful, right? I mean, it's just, they, they're just not. You've got the hands team. You've got experienced players. You, you've got everybody knows what's going to happen, right? Everybody's prepared. Then there's our friend, Brandon. He's supposed to be blocking. And as you can see in the picture, he is not blocking, most decidedly. <laughs> and Jordy Nelson, who is saying, oh, I'm going to get this ball. I'm going to fall on it. And this is going to be sweet. As the has the proverbial, oh, shit, look on his face. Because the guy sees, that's supposed to be blocking <laughs> He isn't. sees a giant man <laughs> jumping in the air, blotting out the sun. Exactly. Going for and the football. Going for the football is an accurate phrase here. Yeah. And because that's in fact all he did he went for it it yeah. touched his person and then kept moving on I, I hate to kick a guy when he was down and, and i don't think anyone felt worse about this play than brandon bostick and it it is just one of those moments in packer lore that it is our moment and we have to live with it and that ball was fumbled away as was the remainder of that football game but we were still ahead at that point. We were ahead 1914. Yeah. Seattle went, they in four plays went 50 yards. They got the touchdown and they got the two point conversion. That meant that they were ahead 22 19. The Packers now get the ball. They had a 44 second drive as far as that getting that touchdown is concerned. So the Packers get the ball with a little over a minute left. And we had arguably our best drive of the game in which Aaron Rodgers took the team down the field seven plays 48 yards a little over a minute of time we kicked the field goal or mason crosby kicks the field goal in order to make it a tie game at 22 22 aaron Rodgers on that drive three of five 36 yards and a 12 yard rush so 48 yards of offense from aaron Rodgers in the passing game in that drive Unfortunately, that was our last drive of the game because Seattle got the kickoff. Seattle got the coin toss in overtime. They had an 87-yard six-play drive, scored the touchdown. The game is over. We lost 28-22. But where was where was Matt Hasselbeck to say we're going to take the ball and we're going to win yeah. the game? Yeah. We're going to take the ball and we're going to score. But Brandon Bostic is my Packers player of the past, not because I want to pile on, but because of the magnitude of this game. And he's been the fall guy for this game when the offense should have been the ones who took all of the blame and the coaching staff should have taken the blame for the game. So if we look at just a couple of statistics in the game, other than on that last drive where Aaron Rodgers got the game tying field goal, Aaron Rodgers was 16 of 29 for 133 yards and two interceptions. Okay, so 133 yards of offense, 4.2 yards per attempt for the passing game. Now, I mentioned the fourth downs that we had. We had four fourth and ones in that game. <laughs> the fourth and one that was the furthest away from the Seattle goal line was at midfield. That was in the second half. But we had essentially four perfect situations for going for it on fourth and one. We took advantage of none of those situations. And in the second half, as I said, our offense did absolutely nothing on the drives that they had. We had five drives with a total of 30 yards. It was a failure as far as all elements of the game. Of course, we allowed Marshawn Lynch to get 157 yards rushing. Um, 
we allowed those drives at the end. But this is a game that should not have been close. It should not have depended on an error by the assets. It should not have depended on Brandon Bostic. It should have been put away by the offense long, long, long ago. Just a reminder, Russell Wilson had four interceptions and there was a fumble in that game. Seattle had five turnovers. We should have been able to put that game away since it had nothing to do with a third string tight end who is playing special teams. In addition to that, the one that I remember being just kind of what the hell is going on moment is the two point conversion, right? I mean, that was absolutely inexplicable because everybody knew it was coming. Right. And it was just, and they got it. And and it was such a, in, in such a bizarre fashion. It was like the defense almost like gave it to them, except no, you don't give it to them. In this case, you don't want them to go up by three. And it did. And it was just, you're right. It just, it got, it was like the twilight zone. It just got weirder and weirder. Cause this was the, you know, I think Russell Wilson's fourth interception where he just sat down, you know, he didn't try, you didn't want to fumble. Okay. I get it. But there was no return with like what, two and a half minutes left or something. It was just like, Oh my God, just run, just run, do something. Don't fumble. But just, you know, it just, they tried so desperately not to lose, as we, as we talked about earlier in this game. Winning teams, successful winning teams, keep their foot on the gas, or whatever you want to say. They don't let up. They don't play just to, 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 to get to the win. They play with purpose. They play with drive. They play with intensity. And we did not see that a lot in this game, unfortunately. And, you know, the, the team, perhaps not the better team won here, but, you know, they went on uh, to the Super Bowl, obviously, which was crushing, but it was, um, it was just, it was weird. And again, Packer lore, it's something we remember fondly because we watched it. Well, remember fondly, I think is the you know correct wow. word if we're really into yeah the, punching uh, ourselves in the, the self nut yeah. punching, yeah. but uh, you know it, it's certainly part of certainly part of the yes. you know the beast swelling is very much a part of our lore. I want to go back to Brandon Bostic though, um, because it's actually remarkable that he made it to the NFL and played in this game. So um, he's originally from Florence, South Carolina. Um, and he went to Newbury College, and I have no idea where Newbury College was until I looked at this. It is in the South Atlantic Conference in Division II, and I never knew there was a South Atlantic Conference in Division II. In college, he had 136 receptions with 19 touchdowns. He was an undrafted free agent for the Packers in 2012. Um, six foot three, 250 pounds. He ran a 459.40, so a fast man for somebody of that size, 19 reps. 2012, he was on the practice squad exclusively. 2013, he started playing special teams. Um, he got his first touchdown from Scott Tolzien on November wow. 10th, 2013. It was also Scott Tolzien's first touchdown. He finished that 2013 year with seven receptions, 120 yards, and a touchdown. In 2014, he had two receptions for three yards and a touchdown. Ironically, that touchdown was on a pass from Aaron Rodgers against the Bears on a fourth and one. Um, so um, <laughs> that that is the sum of his, his time with the Packers that we don't remember as well. But it is remarkable that he actually even made it to that Packers team, given his Division II background, given his undrafted free agent status. And um, he did get cut, obviously, after the playoffs were concerned. He was first picked up by Minnesota because, of course, Minnesota is going to pick up a uh, – 
Green Bay uh, player, if they have Cast the opportunity, uh, they, they'll choose whatever Green Bay players they can because it thinks it makes them better. Um, he did not end up playing for either Minnesota or for Arizona, with whom he also had been on the team. But in 2016, he did play for the Jets. He actually started seven games, eight receptions, 63 yards. So a career with 17 receptions, 186 yards, two touchdowns. And nobody, nobody remembers any of that because of this one play. But this Packers game should not have been remembered for a error on a onside kick recovery. It should have been remembered for all of the errors we made up until that point in that game that even allowed an onside kick to come into play. The biggest lesson of that game, Neil, not only being able to put four quarters of football together, but also playing through the end of the game. I think that's uh, something that the Jacksonville Jaguars learned. Uh, most definitely this past weekend. We'll talk about how that can help them out here as we're going to look at our divisional round and the first game coming up on Saturday at 3.30 Central Time, Neil. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the number four seed, head over to Kansas City. Jaguars at Chiefs. And I think if we are sticking in with our, our original picture, go ahead and change your picks, whatever you want to do. Neil, what do you like in this in this matchup? So first of all, what I like is now we only have good teams. We've gotten rid of all of those crappy teams, all the teams that never should have been in the playoffs in the first place. Now we've got good teams. Unfortunately, we this is our last weekend of football with four games until September of this year. But let's enjoy those four games of the divisional round. Um, so first of all, Jags against Kansas City. I love what Trevor Lawrence did. I love what... Doug Peterson did. Unfortunately, I just think Kansas City is a much better team. Specifically, DVOA, the Jags are only 13th. Their defense is 26th. The only hope that they have is Kansas City's defense is dicey as well, but Kansas City has the best offense. Um, so we're in these Saturday games, as far as I'm concerned, we're in the realm of everything being involved, hopes and prayers. And I think the hopes and prayers from the Jacksonville side is that Trevor Lawrence finds a rabbit in a hat again and that we get Andy Reid in the playoffs again as we have seen many times I think it always can come back at any time this can be true and therefore that is what they're hoping but Patrick Mahomes I think is still Patrick Mahomes I think Kansas City wins the game easily agreed you know you look at the whole picture Neil there are only seven meaningful games left in this NFL season and you just are going to have to sit down at the table and chew every single morsel that you can get uh, in this Chiefs-Jaguars <laughs> game. I'm going to stick with my Kansas City prediction uh, to advance on in this one, the number one seed on the season and truly a dominant team once again in the AFC. The nightcap on Saturday, the other number one seed, the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the New York Giants. Uh, one of those teams really uh, fraudulently, Neil, maybe these aren't all the best teams. Maybe one of those teams... <laughs> Still shouldn't be there, but they are there. They made their way through. What do you like, Giants-Eagles? Uh, the Giants are good enough to beat Kirk Cousins. Um, I don't think they're good enough to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And let's just look right at that DVOA number for the Giants. They're 21st in the NFL after beating the Vikings. Philadelphia's third. Um, offense, defense, special teams. Philadelphia's better in all three phases. They've got incredible skill players. It's going to take Jalen Hurts sort of stumbling and another incredible game from Danny Dimes for the Giants to have a chance. I think the Eagles win this one. I agree with Neil. I think uh, Hertz, if if Hertz does, though, have an off game, uh, I think it opens the door uh, for the Giants because, um, you know, Daniel Jones could outplay Hertz in terms of not only, you know, passing, but also using his legs as he did against the Vikings. But I think um, the Philadelphia defense is better. 
Um, and I think that they will find a way to win. This is the one pick I have to revise from my original prediction. So I will take Philadelphia here. Uh, they are the number one seed. I think they've proven themselves to be the best team in the NFC this season, and they will advance on as well. Taking a look at Sunday, it's the two teams we really like. And this is one that, you know, then when it, it depends on who wins this game, what how that Kansas City matchup is going to go, where that game is going to be played. So we have the Bengals and the Bills, uh, a game that didn't get played a couple of weeks ago that really would have decided a lot of things. I think there's going to be a lot of hype on that one, but it is the uh, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Easter, first game of the day on Sunday, the Cincinnati Bengals traveling over to Buffalo. Neil, what do you like? Both teams are great. I mean, I think this is the thing. Both teams have flaws, certainly, but both teams have the chance to win the Super Bowl. And um, this is something I don't think we can say about any of the games on Saturday. Sunday, we've got actually good teams in both games on both sides of the field. So let's just look at basic numbers. Bills are number one in DVOA. The Bengals are fifth. Offense, they're second and fourth. Defense, fourth and 11th. The only difference by DVOA is special teams. The Bills are number one in special teams in the NFL mm. by DVOA. But of course, we know that these teams have problems playing consistently, as we saw in the wild card round. And to me, the stats that matter and what's going to determine the outcome of the game looks at what the line is going to do on the offense and on the defensive side. The Bengals were sacked four times in their wild card game. Josh Allen was sacked seven times in the wild card game. If Josh Allen is sacked more than Joe Burrow, I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals are going to win. I am sticking with the Bills as the better team. I think they are the better team. I think home field makes it an advantage. I just think that they need to do more correct than they did in the wild card round. They've got to go beyond two quarters of football. They've got to go to three or four quarters of football or Cincinnati is going to be able to take them out. I agree. And as I, um, as I mentioned too, with the Cincinnati offensive line, I think if, I think the bills are going to tee off on Joe Burrow, I think it's going to be last year all over again. And I think the bills hopefully, you know, have learned from their mistakes, what they can do, as Neil said, put together at least three really good quarters this one probably is going to come down to something weird, right? It's going to be some weird turnover. It's going to be a weird bounce. It's going to be a pick six or scoop and score or something like that. Um, and for the Bills fans, uh, Bills Mafia, I hope it's not, it doesn't go against them. Again, being at home, I think is somewhat an advantage um, just for the crowd noise, but in terms of the elements or things like that, both teams are used to playing outside. So I think it's going to come down to something really weird and quirky and um and joe burrow uh being able to stay upright in the pocket otherwise i think you know i'd be shocked if um the bills gave up seven sacks again i just don't think it's going to happen and i think they're going to be really focused you know i think that there's still there's a sentiment you know to get the bills to the super bowl uh on a number of levels here again so um i'm, I'm sticking with the bills as well all right, and and I I will say that with Cincinnati, I am concerned with the uh, the offensive line how that uh, is going to hold up for them. Uh, but just because I don't want to have to make a lot of marks on my piece of paper, I'm going to stick with what I put down. I'm going to go with a big who day, and I will take the Bengals this weekend. All right, the nice. end the fourth game, uh, uh, the the late game on Sunday, the Dallas Cowboys now travel to the San Francisco 49ers. This is the '90s all over again, a classic Cowboys 49ers matchup how's it going to turn out neil uh, so which team is Deion sanders playing for that's the team that's going to win um right <laughs> yeah seriously i mean it's aikman and young versus young all over again and uh it's it's 
I, I hate to say this, but it's actually good to see both of these teams good again. I think it makes football better when these great franchises are both playing at the top of their game. Both teams are good, and I'm really looking forward to this game as well. Uh, San Francisco overall second DVOA, Dallas is sixth. Um, most importantly, as far as looking at what they're best at, we know that they're both strong defenses. And indeed, this is the number one defense versus the number two defense in the NFL by DVOA. But both teams have the offensive guns in order to perform as well. I'm looking forward to Dak Prescott. Is he going to be able to replicate some of the things that he did in that last game? Is he going to be able to show that poise, show that ability to move the ball down, show something that grows beyond some of the things he'd done after being injured in the regular season? Is Brock Purdy going to be able to be rattled? Can the Dallas defense force Brock Purdy to make the rookie mistakes? Because again, we're in a situation where there's never been a rookie quarterback that has made the Super Bowl. And the Dallas defense certainly is the one element that I think has a chance to speak as far as this is concerned. I think that they do have that ability. But on the other hand, there's so many weapons for that San Francisco team. It's going to be really tough because they can just send the ball wherever. I'm really excited for this game. I think it's going to be a good game. And I have to make an admission to you fellows. Um, oh. Oh. I, I, I'm actually cheering for Dallas in this game. Oh my. And I'm, what? I'm, what? And it's not because of a love of Mike McCarthy or anything like that. I'm doing oh God, it as, We know that. <laughs> I, I, I'm doing it for purely selfish Packers fans reason. What is the thing that causes Aaron Rodgers to play at his very best? It's when Aaron Rodgers plays with a chip on his shoulder. You know, you get a first round draft pick and he's got to say, well, I've got to play at an MVP level. You got to reach the level of where the chip is. You know, he replaces Brett Favre. Well, he's got to win a Super Bowl. But, you know, he sort of got to that point and he needed to find new slights. Well, I can't think of a bigger slight for Aaron Rodgers to chew on than Mike McCarthy winning a Super Bowl without him. I don't absolutely want the Dallas Cowboys to win a Super Bowl, but I think for Packers fans, that is the best thing possible to give us the best chance of winning a Super Bowl next year and getting the best out of Aaron Rodgers. So go Cowboys. What a take. What a take. All right. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to stick with my, my pick from last week. I think the winner of this game win, uh, is going to the Super Bowl for the NFC. I, I think these, these are by far the two best teams. The 49, I just, it just makes me throw up in my mouth when I see Jerry Jones trying to high five, you know, in the, it's just, I'm like, no, don't show that. Just no, that's, that's not. So Jerry just, no, he's, I, I would like to see him not win this game. Uh, Neil, I, I really appreciate, and I agree with you for, for those reasons to, to put, get a chip on Roger's shoulder to have him back one more season and go, well, F, you know, fuck Mike McCarthy, right? If he's going to win a Super Bowl without me, I'm going to win one without him. But I, I just think that Mike McCarthy is going to do Mike McCarthy things in this game. And which, which was, which is you don't want, you know, if, if that case, but I just think San Francisco, like you said, both sides of the ball, there's really no, the only weakness is the rookie quarterback who has shown no weakness. So, um, Based on that, I, I think it's going to be San Francisco. And like I said, and I think they're going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I should follow up, but I actually think that San Francisco is going to win too. And honestly, they have been the single most consistent team in the NFL at the end of the season. I think that they are currently the best team that's out there right now. And so, although I badly want the Cowboys to win this game, I want Mike McCarthy to go to the Super Bowl at the very least. I think that San Francisco is the better team that's going to win it. Okay, so you're riding the fence, but you're taking San Francisco as your pick. 
I, you know, heart, heart and mind, right? My brain says what yep. the real analysis is. And yes, Mike McCarthy is still on that Dallas, Dallas Cowboys sideline. Um, but, <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be a ride as far as the Packers are concerned yeah. to have Aaron Rodgers just desperate to get mm -hmm. a second Super Bowl? And I'll stick with my pick of San Francisco here. Uh, the defense really is take your numbers, Neil, but it's the eye test. That defense is really strong. They do have the offensive weapons and you've got the story made for Hollywood where one handsome quarterback is replaced by an equally handsome quarterback. And it'll be a fun <laughs> story for them to make a movie out of uh, when this one is all said and done. So those are our picks for the divisional round. We'll come back next week and see how we did. And we've got those picks down for the historical records so that we can look back on them and, and laugh at ourselves if we need to. Uh, but historical records are always a good thing. And uh, there are lots of things we can learn from history. There's ups, there's downs, and there's a lot of good and bad. And, and Jeff's got a little bit of it in for everyone. us. everyone. Sorry. And Jeff's got a little bit of it for us in his bedtime story. Jeff. I do. So tis the season for teams that don't make the playoffs oftentimes they're, they fire their head coaches. So first and foremost, I wanted to look back and say, okay, I didn't know off the top of my head uh, how many coaches there have been in the history of the Packers. That number is 15, including Matt LaFleur. So we're on our 15th head coach in over 100 years. So that's not too bad. So we've had 15, uh, with those 15 head coaches, four of the 15 have coached nine or more years. And two of those 15 have coached a grand, each coached one year. Uh, any guesses, gentlemen, on, on, I know you know one of them, but. Uh, Peter McLean is one. Ray Rhodes is the other. So there, there's, if you're named Ray and you were a Packer coach, you only coached a year. So you had Ray Scooter McLean, who coached one year. Um, and Ray Rhodes, of course, in, in 1999, who coached one year. Then I started so doing a little more research. And so what really, there were three interim coaches in there as well. And actually, uh, Ray Scooter McLean was an interim coach as well. But I'm going to take us back to 1950. Curly Lambeau gives his resignation. So the only coach the Packers have had since 1921. So 29 years with the Packers, there's a falling out. So he, he submits his resignation and there was a new coach within a week. This was in January of 1950. The replacement was Gene Ronzani. Now, Gene was an interesting character. So there's a picture of him here. So Gene was completely affiliated with another organization in the NFL at that time, the Chicago Bears. So he played eight seasons for the Bears as a halfback and quarterback, and he worked as a Bears assistant under George Hallis. He had only two years head coaching experience, and that was at the minor league level with the Akron Bears and the Newark Bears. So Ronzani introduced, uh, he was introduced as the second coach of the Green Bay Packers on February 6th, 1950. It took him five months to complete his coaching staff for coaches. And they all or most of them had Chicago Bears ties as well. The Packer fans, they kind of were skeptical of this guy because they knew his background. They knew his history. The Bears were hated, heated, hated rivals. And here's this guy who comes on as a coach this, after Curly Lambeau, right? He, his coaching tenure in Green Bay was not successful. 
So in just under four seasons, he had a record of 14, 31, and one, which is a whopping 315 winning percentage or lack thereof, if you will. So for all of the bad in that, there was some interesting kind of anecdotes or footnotes to this that that made Gene kind of an interesting character, not only in Packer history, but also in NFL history. Of considerable note, he did hire a 23-year-old kid named Jack Venisi. And we've talked about him a little bit before. We're gonna we may dedicate a whole episode to Jack because he really was an amazing scout for the Packers. He just, he unfortunately died, died young, but he was an amazing, amazing uh, front office person. Gene hired him in September of 1950, and that turned out to be very well in Packers history. A couple other things though. So as even though he really didn't, Gene didn't really have that much experience as a head coach, he was willing to experiment almost mad scientist wise with the offense. He's credited in in many circles with uh, with originating the spread formation. So the trips formation, this is back when there was, you'd line up the quarterback and there'd be three running backs behind him, the, the, the T formation. And he said, you know what, let's not do that. And he put three wide receivers out to the side. This was groundbreaking. Nobody did this. Um, in addition to that, he was one of the first, if not the first, to run a T formation, and he utilized the shotgun to run his base offense. I was like, hmm, okay. So, unfortunately, through again through the years, through the losing in his last year, the Packers languished to a two-six and one record in 1953, and he was fired. As some other coaches, it happens uh, with two games remaining in the season. Now, this is where things get a little weird. To replace Gene, not one, not two, but three assistant coaches who were on the staff were hired to coach the remaining two games. Hugh DeVore, Chuck DeVries, and Ray Scooter McLean. Now, Ray came back and did actually coach in 1958. And one of the coaches, uh, Chuck DeVries, never, he was fired actually before the next game. So he didn't end up coaching any of the games and the other two gentlemen went O and two. So throughout the fifties, uh, then Lyle Blackburn was hired. Then Ray Scooter McLean made another appearance and that pretty much closed out the fifties until Vince Lombardi showed up in 1959 and fortunately got back in track. And there were no longer this, this massive turnover of coaches and assistant coaches. And what it really boils down to is coaching consistency and success within an organization. So it's interesting, though, right, that period of Gene Renzani also included the season from Billy Houghton that we've talked about previously this year. And you talk yes. about innovations in the passing game. Well, something in the passing game that leads a Wookiee wide receiver to end up with 13 touchdowns in a 12-game season does say something about the mindset uh, but there may certainly have been a Peter principal involved and in that he may have been better suited to be a coordinator than a head coach. I think that's an accurate statement. Yeah, there was, he apparently was a, a player's coach. Um, and back then players coaches weren't particularly successful. And even today they're not always successful, but uh, it was, it was a strange situation, but yeah, he was, he was an interesting guy around green Bay. There's lots of interesting stories about him. Uh, I won't get into his biography and some of the other sorted tales, 
Um, but it was, there was certainly some interesting things and he did, um, set up the organization, um, with, uh, Jack Venisi and the, the subsequent drafts throughout the fifties to set the Packers up for success in the sixties. There was no lack of talent on those teams in the fifties either, you know, especially from when they're drafted, when they're young players. But yeah, you said that it's something about, I guess, the personality of that coach. And we talked about Scooter McLean as well, being a player's coach. And in that era, you know, what that meant is you played poker with your players and you chased the girlies around town with your players. And, yeah. um, you know, you're kind of big man on campus and nothing else really mattered. And, and it showed just in the way that these teams played. Uh, and that's why they didn't make postseason play. And uh, teams that don't make the postseason make changes at coaches. And that's what we had a lot mm -hmm. of after uh, Curly Lambeau left. And that's all we've got for this week. Uh, it is an interesting weekend. Like we said, four games this weekend and then only three more after that. So sit down and enjoy your smorgasbord of games this weekend. You guys, what do you have to look forward to this weekend? Any final thoughts? My final thoughts is that my favorite game of last weekend was the North London Derby. Um, what do you think of Tottenham shit? What do you think of shit Tottenham? Um, Arsenal with a glorious 2-0 victory at the shithole. We talked about Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and how the stink of that stadium touched the Giants, the Packers, and the Vikings this year. It's the first time that Arsenal has won in that stadium since it was built. And uh, Arsenal is now sitting on top of the Premier League with an eight-point lead. And we play Manchester United this weekend. So go Arsenal. I don't know how to follow that. So I just, I'm looking forward to um, some, some quality football. Like I said, our, our, our games are waning. We've got four for this weekend. So looking forward to that. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll, you know, see what our, we'll chat about our picks and we'll see what weirdness occurs uh, this weekend. Cause it seems like at least one, one game per weekend seems to come up. There's something that we've either never seen before or something that makes us go. Wow. So we'll see if we get that this weekend. Well, I'm looking forward to trying to get a guest for us for next week's show. And I think the winner of the Buffalo Cincinnati game will help decide which road I go down to get us someone to talk about uh, the championship games in the following week. And so we'll have to wait and see what happens. All right. If you're watching us on YouTube, please hit subscribe, leave a comment for us. Let us know how we're doing. You can also find the GBC podcast at Green Bay chat. That's all one word, Green Bay chat. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. Facebook, it's the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat, and on Spotify. Just get the audio there. Search Green Bay Chat. We make it easy for you. As always, may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.